I'd ask Tom about this in Monday Night Show, so I'd ask Lynn and Dean about this from the standpoint that now you've got a lot more people working remotely. If I'm a CEO, I've got to presume that creates more angst from a cybersecurity standpoint, or am I missing something? And, and if I'm not, what can a CEO be doing to ensure that everybody in his network's protected while he's got a lot of people working remotely? Definitely. Tom mentioned virtual private networks, VPNs, um, endpoint antivirus solutions, making sure that the end user has education so that they know not to click those phishing emails and fall for the bad actors. Uh, those types of things are very important. Dean, anything else you want to add there? Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think uh, it's it's beneficial for companies to understand where their data is at. The bad actors are really after data. They want to hold that data ransom. They want to hold that data uh, hostage until you pay that ransom. They want to sell it on the dark web. So as we are using our machines from home, just be cognizant of trying to keep as much data as you can on the corporate network and not bringing that data onto your PC at home especially if that PC is also used you know, by your children to do homeworks or play games or whatever. If your machine doesn't really have any corporate data on it, valuable data that the bad actor would hold for hostage or sell on the dark web, your risk goes down significantly. So I would just be cognizant of that as well. Fascinating. Um, I want to get into one of the pieces that Governor Burgum talked about and our sister station, K-Fire, yeah. did was around mm -hmm. schools. And I think when you see that story, it's pretty stunning to see that now you've got state actors attacking the grid, if you will, that's the right term, of yeah. our school. Is that the right term? It's okay, good. Yeah. The grid of our schools, and that's been up, you know, 1,200%. And again, I go back to this remote thing, because so many students now obviously are working from home remotely. Just your assessment on what cities, I mean, the city of yes. Wilson, I heard, mm -hmm. their entire email system was out for, I heard, three days because of the People's Liberation Army of China, which I just right. thought, what? Yeah. So what can cities, counties, states be doing to protect themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And just I want to send a compliment to uh, Governor Burgum for being a uh, forerunner on this and, and really kind of a, a visionary. Um, the, the state of South Dakota, the university system and so forth, they're completely aware of what's going on. And they're on top of it. North Dakota, I think, is a big target again, like Lynn said, because we're kind of Midwest nice. We assume that things that come across electronically are friendly. We want to help. But North Dakota, you think about it, you know, the energy is happening here, the critical infrastructure, the agriculture, uh, the, the D1 research institutions that are doing, you know, autonomous type of vehicles and so forth. There's a, a lot of risk, a lot of data. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, uh, bad actors, nation states, like we were talking offline, Chris, there was a, a general in the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s, that was also very forward thinking and he defined cyber as the fifth dimension of warfare, land, sea, air, space, and cyber. And I know uh, Governor Burgum you know, is aware of this. I know Department of Homeland Security, some personal friends you know, work very closely with government and higher education and so forth. But again, the, the risk is just huge. There's the critical infrastructure and then I would also say the intellectual property, specifically the question was kind of around uh, school districts, and I'm kind of thinking university system now. But the bad actors are kind of realizing that, you know, let's just take a, autonomous, you know, driving vehicles and the research they're doing there, that it's ultimately probably easier to steal that research technology from a university than it is to steal that technology once it gets to Tesla or John Deere 
or whomever it may be. So they're just, the bad guys are looking for the weakest link. And I, I just hate to say this, but right now, you know, the university systems as compared to, uh, you know, a defense contractor like Boeing or Northrop or Raytheon, the weakest link in that chain right now is the research institution. Well, I think that Governor Brigham was specifically referring as well to K-12 as well as the, yes. as the higher education. And you know, you ask yourself, what what do these K-12 schools that would be important to anybody from 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 a different country? Well, well, what if what if their their whole purpose was to try and figure out a way to create discord in a community? And what if what their whole entire their I, I don't know this to be true, so I'm just making up a story here. But what if? The, uh, a school system was hacked and all of the children's information that whatever is held by the school was made available to the public in a community. How much discord would there be? That would create quite the ripple. So those are the things that we think about in the cybersecurity environment where, you know, you, people ask, why do these people want this information? We don't know. But what if that's the reason? What if it's just a, like, like Dean talked about, how quickly could you create just a mini civil war by having information like that available to the public in a community? So a few things I'm trying to piece together here, guys. And again, anybody jump in. But Dean talked about going after the weakest link. And I, and then Tom just talked about, yes, Governor Bergen was speaking about K through 12, kids working from home. And you talked about if your kids are working on a computer. For, I mean, mm -hmm. it seems like there's a pretty potentially weak link there if I've got a youngster who's also jumping on a work computer, yeah. and they're gonna be like, oh, that's cool, a phishing email, or, so how as a parent, and again, from a CEO's perspective, because that's who's gonna end up, my understanding, paying this ransomware, <laughs> how do I ensure that little Susie on my employee's computer isn't ended up accidentally getting into a phishing situation, and now I have to pay an average of $3 million here in North Dakota? <laughs> One of my favorite sayings is secure the humans, right? At that point, it becomes education, training, listening to the types of things that Dean mentioned, um, making your work environment as small as possible. Essentially, hackers are lazy. If, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. They're just gonna spray things around. They're gonna password spray the internet. They're just gonna start scoping firewalls and hoping that there is an open port. If there's not, they're moving on. So if you can be more secure than your neighbor, they're going to move on. And I do that through passwords, multi-factor authentication. Virtual private networks, having yeah. a plan, continual education, so you know what that phishing email looks like. Um, trust but verify when your copier repairman calls you. That one freaks me out. Just <laughs> <laughs> no. today, because you're, you're so like, oh yeah, go ahead. Do you want to add anything to that, Tom? Well, there, we've got some funny stories, but I, I don't dare use them because <laughs> to protect the innocent. Um, the, the, the other thing that can be really scary too, as Dean was talking about, you, you know, if you, have, if you have this, let's say you have this laptop that now it, it's a work-related laptop, and when it's connected to, the, to, the, to your work environment, you, you, there's protections in place, but now you've taken it off network, you've taken it home, the kids are using it, you're using it for games, whatever, we're not sure, there are systems out there that can protect against this, but they're, they're not as common and they're becoming more and more popular and important because now this, this system has been, has been kind of out there living in the wild a little bit and now, it's, now maybe something's on it and I come back to work. If the, if the systems aren't able to check that computer 
before allowing it back on the network, that's a big risk vector right there. So that's the, some of the stuff that we're really trying to work with people on. It's like, okay, you might have, you, you might have all of these things that were important six or seven years ago or even five years ago or two years ago, but these are the new things, which goes back to what Lynn was saying about it's a process. It's a, it's, it's, let's go here and then let's just keep in touch. Let's keep this communication going as we see new things happening. Let's just keep revisiting. Dean, I want to get your take on, so let's say somebody out there says, you know what, I need to go give myself a consultation and make sure that I've done my vulnerability assessment, maybe get to the pen test. So again, go to highpointnetworks.com forward slash security, highpointnetworks.com forward slash security. So I go to that website right now, I fill it out, and hypothetically, you come into my office, kind of walk me through this mm -hmm. consultation and what does it ultimately mean for my company? Absolutely, and there's a lot of different places that you can go today to get these consultations. I think one thing that kind of separates or differentiates high point networks uh, from the others is we do go through a meth methodological uh, spreadsheet to see if you're doing the absolute you know, fundamentals, which will ultimately reduce your risk the most, kind of bang for the buck type of way. And we go through that checklist much like a doctor would when you walk into the doctor's office. But our difference is kind of that bedside manner, if I can use that medical analogy as well. So as we're going through the checklist, we're also having a real-time deep conversation with the customer to really kind of figure out, you know, not only what is your technology risk, but our conversation today started out a little bit like what is the culture of your company, what is the politics, what's the financial nature, what's your you know, business model look like, what's your vision, brings all of these other kind of intangibles into that quantitative checklist so that at the end of the day, we can put that all together in really kind of a 360 degree type of view like a doctor would in order to prescribe some type of uh, uh, mitigation to your, to your risk, your healthcare need. It may be something as easy as cleaning up your diet, you know, and exercising quite a bit, or it may be something significant, like maybe needing some insulin or something like that. And when we go through those assessments, there's no, you know, no judgment, no emotion. You know, we meet you just like a medical doctor would with a patient. We just meet you where we're at, where you're at. We do an assessment, we follow the science, and then we prescribe, you know, based on, on your personal type of, you know, tailored situation. And then essentially I can say, okay, I'll take Sure. this prescription, but I'm not going to work out it. Like I can sort of yeah, take yep. what I want and leave what I want. And yes, anything sir. you want to add to that, Lynn? A la carte is a great way to put that, yes. Mm -hmm. So we like to do, we do several assessments in this way. One is the building a security plan, which Dean described very well. Um, we also like to do an incident response plan with you. What happens if the bad actors do actually get in? What is your incident response? Who's going to be your incident commander? Who is going to um, actually work on the network? Are you going to bring in a third party? Make all of those decisions now. Have them laid out in a plan. In case it's a really bad day, you've got the plan in place. Uh, the other plan that we come in and help you with is a site security plan. So uh, that would be things like, if the printer guy calls, <laughs> no, you cannot let him in until you authenticate that he truly is the printer guy in some way, shape, or form. Uh, feel free, be empowered to call that company back and say, hey, mm. are you sending me a printer guide? Did you really get an error? Um, it's okay to do those things. And sometimes I think we are so Midwest nice that we, we just want to believe, but let's verify. Um, 
the printer guy just freaks me out. So is that a fairly prevalent thing that happens where just random people are showing up at people's offices and saying, hey, I'm the printer guy? I can say in every on-site assessment that we have done, we have, with the exception of one, um, our security engineer has gotten in the door. You'd be surprised what you can get into. And every time you print something, a lot of times it's keeping a digital copy on the hard drive of that printer. So as a pen tester doing a physical test, you might be able to walk right into a business or a university and kind of look around and say, oh, there's the printer. Unscrew a couple of screws on the side of that pop the hard drive out like that because they're meant to be changed quickly so you can service them fast. And you're off, uh, you know, with that hard drive, maybe it's not encrypted with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of scanned copies, pieces of documents that's gone through there. Oh my gosh, it, just, yeah. it makes your heart sink. Well, and actually we can do real time with that now too. There are several tools that you can just take, unplug the network jack, ideas. plug Sorry. this in, <laughs> off you go. Quit giving these guys ideas. Sure. <laughs> 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 yeah.